I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Welcome to episode 10, in which I chat with an appraiser. In this episode, I talk with Beth Davis, who's an AQS certified quilt appraiser, and it's a very long episode, so I don't want to give a lot of preliminary. I did want to explain one thing, however. Um, Early in the interview, Beth refers to the Big Tree Quilt Conference, and she says it is sort of an inside joke because that is the quilt conference that my mother and several of her quilty friends founded and ran for many years in the 1980s, and they had a lot of great teachers, etc. My mom's memories of those conferences were fond and many. Uh, So I did just want to explain that one reference that Beth makes. Other than that, I think the interview is good to go, and I hope you will enjoy it. Okay, I'm here today with Beth Davis, who is an AQS certified quilt appraiser, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more later in the interview. Let's start out. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, Beth. Well, um, I started quilting in the late 1980s, and just like most quilters, you know, you just kind of, I taught myself, I did take, I did join a group that meets in Spencerport, and um, at the time they weren't very organized, but they helped me learn about quilting, and, uh, you know, I kind of, I took some classes from a place called Big Tree quilt seminar. You might have heard of it, (laughs) but uh, those ladies really inspired me, and they always brought in teachers that were traditional quilters um, with a few, with sort of an artistic bent, and so I learned all the um, different ins and outs of quilting, and then, I don't know, few years after that I just kind of went okay you know I've done a lot of different quilts I've you know made oh close to a hundred at that point and I started saying is there something more is there something else of interest quilting is such a wide world there's so much stuff that you can get into in quilting I mean you can learn all the techniques and then there's still more techniques to learn so You know, but I got to a point where I went, okay, is there something else? And I started getting into history. And it's always been an interest of mine, but I never related that, you know, quilts and history went together. And so around 2000, I started looking at antique quilts instead of, you know, looking only at new quilts and fabric and such. And I started getting interested in it. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I... I grew up with quilts, and they weren't made by my mother or my grandmother. Neither one even knew what end of a needle to thread. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I grew up with these quilts, but they were made by, by my great grandmother. Hmm. And so I thought, hmm, okay, let's let's learn about this. You know, what were, what were quilters doing in the 1930s and and there was a course that was being offered by the University of 
Nebraska, and it was an online course, which was kind of neat because, you know, it was like kind of new to be able to, you know, get into your computer and and learn about quilting. And they, it was kind of an interesting prospect. They sent you videotapes. Yeah, they were DVDs. <laughs> they were They yourself. weren't DVDs. They were actually <laughs> videotapes. And and then they would, you had to buy a book and they would do like an online discussion every week and and then you get in the computer and you did discussion in a in a group and it was like this was cool stuff and i really got into it and you know i i just found it of great interest to me so that's when i started you know really getting into this history stuff and part of the um course that i was taking they they did things like, well, you had to write a thesis, and it was it was it was a mixture of both quilt history and of modern quilting, because as I learned then, quilting is quilt history is always being made. So whatever we do now, it's kind of important to think, well, someday this will be history. Hmm. So it it just gave it just kind of melded the worlds for me of quilting. And part of what I did there, I, I thought, well, there's, there's more to what I want to learn. And for some reason, quilt appraising kept cropping up. And I'm like going, what is this quilt appraising? And there was a woman locally who was a quilt appraiser, and she was a quilt historian. And I went to listen to her speak about quilt history and then we started talking about quilt appraising and i said hmm sounds sounds like a bit of a challenge but i i think i can do this you know and i started looking into the courses that you have to take and you know that was kind of exciting you know more schooling Ooh, i like this <laughs> stuff you know and i just kept getting a little bit further away from quilt making which you can obviously see i still do but <laughs> I got more and more into quilt appraising, and I found it was kind of an interesting thing, too. I mean, you kind of, I don't know, it gives you a chance to see more antique quilts than you could ever own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people pay me, they actually pay me to touch their quilts. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, <laughs> I get to touch all these quilts, and I get paid to do it. So, and I, so I just kept going. One of our listeners, Alamosa Quilter, asked mm -hmm. me, um, is, well, first of all, she wanted to know a little bit more about how you become an AQS certified appraiser. Mm -hmm. And she was also curious whether that was the only um, certification available or if there's other organizations that also will certify. Well, there are several personal property organization, uh, appraiser organizations um, there's an international group, um, and there's one that, um, one is called ISA, and then there's an ASA, um, but they only certify personal property appraisers, which is a general umbrella, but they don't really give you the knowledge that you need to be a quilt appraiser. Um, right now, only American Quilter Society appraises or certifies 
quilt appraisers. And to become it, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's, it's actually a conundrum. They want to certify you, you actually have to be an appraiser. But to be an appraiser, you think you need, well, you need to take the classes and you need to be certified, right? So you're, it's like, okay, you, you want the certification to be an appraiser, but to be certified, you have to, to be, be an, an appraiser. appraiser chicken so. and egg kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a conundrum. So, but what you have to do is the best way is to find someone to mentor you. And I was lucky, although the woman in Rochester had already retired from being an appraiser, there were uh, two other appraisers in New York State. Actually, there's four of us all together right now. But there were two that were located in Buffalo. And they uh, said they would mentor me, which means I actually shadowed them for a while before I even decided to take the classes. And then I took the classes, which right now they're really only offered through American Quilter Society and they were offered usually only in Paducah, Kentucky. And um, so I, I took the courses and, and they teach you a lot, but they don't really teach you how to be an appraiser. They teach you skills, they teach you ethics, they teach you where you can go to for information, but a lot of it is just you learn on your own. You do a lot of study, and you just kind of just read about anything that has to do with quilting. Now, there are appraisers that are they're really concerned with antique quilts, and then there's appraisers who really are experts in art quilts, there are appraisers that most of their work comes from traditional quilters, contemporary quilters, but traditional quilters. But we take the classes and we kind of learn a little bit about everything. But we rely on each other and whatever our expertise is. Now, I'm, I have a lot more ex experience with antique quilts. I work at Genesee Country Village Museum. I see a lot of antique quilts. I studied quilt history, so that's more my forte. If I have somebody that brings to me an art quilt that is just all thread painted and maybe a little actual painting on it, I may have to go to somebody else to say, okay, what can you tell me that I need to know about art quilts and what, you know, what it takes to construct it, what it takes as far as how do you build a value? But, um, and then after I took the courses and learned all this stuff and mentored with, with um, the two women in Buffalo, I went back and I took the courses again. <laughs> Many times you do, and they actually recommend that you do. So it's not for the weak need. I've had people <laughs> walk up to me when I've been appraising out in the public and say, hey, Joe, you can do that, can't you? I mean, you watch the the antique road show, you can do that. And I'm like going, this isn't as easy as it looks. It really isn't. I mean, what you see me do physically, you know, when I lay a quilt out and I do all my measurements and stuff, that's not even, that's like the tip of the iceberg. 
what I really do is when I study, I pull out information, I, I go to books, I go to websites, I ask questions of people who may have more knowledge than I, and then I build what I hope is a value that your quilt has, um, depending on what kind of value you're looking for. So it sounds like what you're saying is that the path to becoming certified can sometimes be a bit circuitous. Yes, it can. <laughs> so it's hard for you to say, oh, it'll take this long and you take X number of courses. Um, but was right. there some sort of uh, final exam, for lack of a better term, or something that you then had to do yes, in order is. to officially become certified? Yes, there is. You, um, after you've taken your courses, you apply to take the exam. And once you've applied, it does cost a little bit of money. And you also have to document what your skills are. And the um, appraisers, the, uh, I don't want to call myself an American Quilter Society appraiser, I'm actually a professional appraiser of quilted textiles, P-A-A-Q-T, once you're certified. But what you do is you have to take an exam. Once they've accepted your application, then you take the exam. And the exam is both oral and written. So you, you go in, into where they have the exam. It's usually in Paducah in April. And you are sitting in front of a board, and you take a written exam. And part of it, you also have to They'll have a quilt out, and there'll be however many candidates there are. You all take the same exam, and you look at the quilt, and you write it up. And then the next day, you go in there in front of a board, and you have to give a verbal exam. You, you, they have a quilt out. You actually do have a choice of quilts. They'll have, like, three quilts. And you can kind of pick what you think your best skill level is. And, of course, you're really nervous. And, <laughs> of course, when I took my exam, I happened to have the two top people sitting on the board. <laughs> so that really, the pressure was on. But I passed in, um, in 2006. Some people don't pass the first time. Sometimes you have to go back and do it a few times. Sort of like the bar exam. Or the <laughs> sort of like the bar exam. And then once you pass and you get this little certificate, um, you have to go back in every few years. You have to actually recertify, and I've already had to recertify once, which um, they like to document what you've been doing. You have to write a paper to prove that you are keeping your skill levels up and not actually growing your skill levels. I mean, they, they don't expect you to stay stagnant. You got a little piece of paper. doesn't really mean... A lot. You have to continually improve yourself and show that you're important to the quilt world. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what they want to see, when they, when they accept your application, they're not just accepting anybody. They, they're kind of looking for people that add to our group as a whole. I mean, they want people, like I said, they want people who are well-versed in all of the quilting art skills. We have lawyers. We have accountants. We have a wide variety of professional people that are part of the group. Mm. 
So they're not just looking for somebody who, oh, I know quilts. I've been making quilts since I was, you know, knee high. <laughs> they, they, they actually want a little more professionalism mm -hmm. than that. And then once you have passed the exam, then you have to sign an ethics statement saying that, you know, as with any professional, um, you're being asked for your professional opinion and you're being asked to, you have to be able to stand by what you do. And with the appraising world, you have to be, it's important that you remember that you don't color the values that you give people with wanting to buy an antique quilt, let's say. You, you really have to say, okay, I'm a quilt collector, but you know my quilt collecting is nowhere near when I do an appraisal. I do not give a, an appraisal to somebody who wants to sell their quilt to me. Mm -hmm. That's not ethical. Okay. And I imagine the, the flip side of that is also not artificially inflating a value for insurance purposes or whatever. No, you can't. You have to be able to stand by your value. It's really important that if a lawyer, if you took my appraisal to a lawyer and said, gosh, this quilt was lost in a fire, but here's the appraisal, and the lawyer looks at it, and if he even thinks that I'm coloring that appraisal one way or the other, it wouldn't stand up in a court of law. And my, my document is an illegal document. I put my stamp on it, I sign it, so what you get from me is a legal document. It's, it has to be upholdable in court. And sometimes appraisers have actually been asked to do that. Um, there are some times where, you know, let's say tragically a person had a fire and they lost everything. After the fact, they ask to have an appraisal done which can be done, but it's very difficult to do. And But you have to be able to say, well, okay, from what information I have from this person and what their quilt was, would I be able to give a value to it that would hold up in court because we don't have the quilt Based anymore. Based on photographs and Based just on verbal photographs information. And okay. It's very difficult to do, but it's, again, you have to be ethical and you have to be above board. I mean, anytime I'm out there, anytime I'm in a quilt show, you always see me wearing my badge, I always, you have to present yourself as a professional. So. so that does lead us into the next segment then. Why should someone who has just made a quilt today, why might they want to get that quilt appraised? There are people that come to me, they make a quilt as a wedding gift. They're giving it away. The, the wedding couple, they look at the quilt and they appreciate that, you know, it's, it's a lovely item and that you made it, but do they really understand what you've put into it? A lot of people, they go to JCPenney's or they go to Sears and they, they look and they see that the quilts are $89.99. <laughs> and it just rips our hearts out when we see that, yeah. It's just <laughs> terrible. And so they look at your quilt and they go, oh, it's very nice, but gee, we, we aren't doing our bedroom in pink and blue. We're, we're doing it actually in black and white with red. And so they take your quilt and they thank you and then they put it away or even worse yet, they use it for a dog bed or 
to cover up the car that's sitting out in the garage. It might be an antique car. It needs to be protected, but, but not with your quilt. And I find that a lot of times people, they just so underestimate the cost of their creativity, your labor. Not that I can pay you $20 an hour to make a quilt, but it's amazing. Just, just in the fabric alone, people don't really realize. I mean, you go to a fabric store, you buy it. Maybe it's on sale, maybe not. And then you, you gather a little bit of fabric here and a little bit of fabric there. and You bought the batting, you know, with your 40% off discount somewhere else. And then your thread and your sewing machine and the class that you took and the book that you bought. Sometimes you just underestimate that. But in a general quilt, let's just say you made, for instance, a queen-size double wedding ring. And... You know, in a queen-size quilt, there could be 12 yards of fabric. And at $10 a yard, and going up, <laughs> let's say it's batiks, um, or maybe even hand-dyed, you know, we're talking a little bit of money here. People just, some, they don't under, they underestimate their, their creativity and what their labor's worth. You also mentioned insurance purposes, that if somebody's house burns down, for example, exactly. not that we can ever replace, you know, the quilts in our heart, but exactly. how does um, the the paperwork, the documentation that you then provide, mm -hmm. how does that help in those kinds of circumstances? Well, what the document does is if you go to your insurance agent and say, "Listen, I lost my quilt. It, it, I, I mailed it. I shipped it." I, it burned up in a fire, the flood, and what they will do is this proves to the insurance company that you don't have a $25 blanket. Mm. It is proof that you have put this much of material, this much of labor. It will cost this much money, which is a lot more than $25, <laughs> to replace the quilt. Now, it doesn't replace the love you put into it, but what it does is it, it ensures and it gives you, somebody should be able to go out and remake your quilt, not your quilt, but remake a similar quilt for you. It doesn't really pay for you to remake it, but actually for somebody else to, you know, sew it, long arm quilt it, hand quilt it, whatever it takes to replace it. You know, you your your quilt is always worth more than $25, but unfortunately that's what would happen. If you were shipping the quilt, if you go to the post office or FedEx or UPS, you need that piece of paper to be able to prove it. And unfortunately, quilts have been lost in the mail. You know, if you, you were able to, let's say you got accepted into Paducah or Houston or, or in Columbus, Ohio, to one of the big quilt shows, and you have to ship it. You know, if it's out of your hands, you know, it could get lost. Not very many do get lost, but if you go, there's a, a website called Lost Quilts Come Home. Hmm. And just get in there and read the stories about these people whose quilts have been lost in the mail or at, at a quilt show. I was going to say, it's not even the big quilt store shows. Okay. You know, your local quilt show, if you hang a quilt, 
you probably should get it appraised then first in you case it gets get it lost or stolen. People who, a lot of people who are quilt artists, they need to have their quilts appraised because let's say you're going to start selling your quilts. I can usually give you some guidance as to what the general market value is for quilts and what they're selling for that are in the same style that you're making. And of course, sadly, it, the economy is soft. You know, there are a lot of people who are downsizing. And a lot of my customers, customers come to me and say, listen, we're moving into a very small apartment. We don't have room anymore for these quilts. And, you know, sadly, you know, they want a fair market value because they need to sell them. A lot of times I try to tell people, well, if you can hold on to them, hold on to them for a little bit longer because we're watching the market. We know what the quilt market is doing. And I, we try to guide people into saying, well, maybe, maybe now's not a good time. Um, we offer them other options. Maybe they want to consider donating the quilt. So we help people not only in insuring their quilts, but also if they need to get rid of their quilts. It was interesting to me, and we're going to start talking about the antique quilts in a minute, but when I brought some to you, I guess I sort of had in my head that a an appraised value is an appraised value, and, and you did talk about how the economy can affect value, and that would be true with antique quilts as well as contemporary quilts. Can yes, you say a little more about that? Um, yeah, uh, the market is soft, and even new quilts aren't, aren't selling. And what we're finding is the interest in the market it's it's very fickled and if you look to see what is in style back in like the 90s um, quilting antiques and new became very popular as an item to use for decoration a lot of corporate people were buying quilts and then putting them up in their offices um, you saw especially uh, you saw a big surge in Amish quilts. You know, the stark, solid color, you know, singular stars or very simple designs were an art statement. And, you know, and then, then that kind of fell off. And now you see people aren't really decorating with quilts anymore. Um, you see a surge in market for like, you know, when the G's Bin quilts came out. And you, you saw people just really wanting to buy them up. As the value went up higher, people kept buying, which drew the, the prices higher. And then all of a sudden, the market crashed on those. And you don't see the cheese bins quilts um, pulling in the, the money that they were. So it's a very fickle market. 30s quilts aren't as popular right now as, as they were. Mm -hmm. You see people have more of an interest in quilt tops or quilt blocks, which, you know, don't take as much room and don't take as much care. So, you know, you see the market go up and down. And I, I mean, I, I see when I went to, like, Paducah, and I, I see that even the interest in quilting contemporary new quilters is kind of on a curve downward. I mean, we, we talked to the 
um, people that run these big quilt shows and we look at the numbers of who's attending, attendance is down. You talk to any of the, the fabric shop owners around here, the quilt shop owners, and you'll, you'll hear them say, well, they're not selling as much fabric. You see, you see it go up and you see it go down. And so we, we try to help people and say, well, you know, I don't think the market is right for your quilt. And so we try to guide them that way. So if someone has had quilts appraised at one point and they're, they're you know, what we might say are valuable, financially valuable quilts, they may want to then have them appraised again, maybe in yeah. 10 years or something, and just kind of we make sure those appraisals are five years. Okay. Usually we tell them five years because it's pretty volatile as far as, yeah. Okay. And obviously, you know, before you try to sell it or before you send it to a show or whatever, you would get kind of like an immediate appraisal. Right. right then. I always, you know, some people, if, if I've appraised it within three years, usually we don't have to go through the whole thing again. We just kind of go through a shortened version and we can quickly assess if there's been a change in value. And of course, it's important that you know I keep my records for five years for an appraisal, and then I have to make room for <laughs> make room for more. Those pictures take a lot of. The other part of appraisal, and this is the main reason I did it with mine, was not so much the insurance value, although I was curious, but it was the documentation aspect and being yeah. able to then document these quilts for future generations. So can you say a little bit more about, again, what your appraisal document contains what, that's useful in that? that? I have so many clients that come to me, they're not really interested in the value as much as they'll tell me, oh, I pulled this out of the attic, don't know who made it, don't know how long it's been there, never saw great-grandma making quilts, have no idea. And so I really important part of my job is to sometimes give them some information just even just a date that can help them a lot of people well unfortunately I'm not one one quilt appraiser she goes by the name the quilt whisperer <laughs> and sometimes you wish that the quilts could talk to you and although they can't and so oftentimes they're not signed we use other clues to give us information that might help the owner of the quilt. I've had people call me and say, I have a quilt, I think it's from the Civil War, and I think my great-great-great-great-grandmother made it. And they bring in a quilt, and I have to tell them, well, it's pastel colors, it's <laughs> pink and blue and yellow and green. I don't really think it was made in the Civil War, but... <laughs> So I can tell them, well, maybe, maybe great, great, great grandma made it, but it was made in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people will say, oh, and just that little bit of information that I can give them as to the date is, is just like a light bulb going off. And they'll go, you know, my aunt might have some information. And then they go off their merry way and they do a, a check with their family genealogists and they're able to figure out exactly who made it and I've helped that person. So, And I'm going to take an episode at some point to talk about exactly that with the antique quilts that you um, did for me because that's what happened in my case. 
Um, in contemporary quilts, if somebody has made, I know that my friend Kate, who I mention about every other episode, so I think my listeners are beginning to get to know her, um, she brought a quilt that she had made to you at, for appraisal. I don't know, I don't remember now the context in which she decided this needed to be appraised, but I, I do know that now, if that quilt remains in her family, then it remains documented for her children and her children's children, so that there's no more of this pulling it out of the attic and saying, gee, I don't know where this came from. Exactly. One of the questions I've had, you know, with my own quilts, I don't look at any of the quilts I've made and think, none of these are worth appraising, you know, because I, I know most of these have been kind of slapdash together or I'm still learning or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you have sort of a, a mental threshold? We do. We have, again, it goes back to that ethics. It's so important. And what we usually tell people, and believe me, I've had people bring me quilts that you sit there and go, oh, my God. <laughs> And you, please get it out of my house. (laughs) I mean, we've had ones that they're infested or they're so filthy. And you go, well, you you try to say something nice about the quilt, (laughs) but you go, I really don't think it's worth having me appraise it. So, yeah, there is. And what we usually tell people is around, if the quilt is not worth $250, it might be, it's a very small quilt, it's a very simple quilt. You were just learning how to long arm machine, and, you know, do you really want to have to pay me to do that it, when it's not really worth it? We see that more with the antique quilts than we do contemporary quilts. Most contemporary quilts are at least worth that amount just because, because of the, the price fabric. of the fabric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've had antique quilts brought to me that I go, wow, please, <laughs> take it. Yeah. And then I take my sheet off the table, and it's <laughs> black, and I have to wash it because, you know, but you try to find something kind to say to them. Uh, sometimes it's more important that we just talk to them about the care of the quilt. You know, it might not have a lot of value. It might have more value just as a family memento. But sometimes they say, well, okay, even if it's not worth 250 we really would like you to praise it because you give us so much information on how to care for it. And so I, usually I give a whole spiel on, you know, what's the best way of storing your quilt? What's the best way of displaying your quilt? What, what can you do if it's just a quilt top? You, can you quilt it? So a lot of times people will bring me a quilt top, which sometimes they don't quite need that $200, $250. But, you know, because I can give them guidance as to what's the best way of handling if they want to machine quilt it or hand quilt it or whatever they would like to do with it. And sometimes that's worth it. Now, I was actually surprised that bringing my quilts to you was nowhere near as expensive as I thought it was going to be. I had this number in my head and thought, well, I probably can't do this, and then realized I could actually afford to bring all of them to you. Mm-hmm. Um, are you comfortable talking about your average prices for this the kind of The average, uh, we, we all kind of stay within the same range, and it's usually 45 to $50 per quilt. If Sometimes some appraisers will give a discount if there's a multitude of quilts. There are some times where there's actually a whole collection of quilts that belong to a family. And a lot of times then we'll just kind of give a 
general price to say it's more like per hour rather than per quilt. We never ask for a value ba or a, a fee based on the value of the quilt. That would be unethical. Again, that would go back to where you may want to inflate the price of the value of the quilt so that you get a higher work, fee. Yeah. And so that's totally unethical. So you, it's always based on a per object or hour hourly fee. Okay. And I know um, in my experience with you, I had multiple quilts, and I brought them, and you sort of verbally told me which ones were then worth going right. that next step further and getting the actual appraisal on. And right. do most appraisers also offer that kind of a service? Most appraisers offer that service because here we go back to that $250 quilt. <laughs> If it's not worth a 45 or $50 written appraisal, but they still want to know generally just what the date of the quilt is, maybe not a value, but more of a date or whatever information, then you offer a verbal. But that doesn't have any research backing right. it up. But usually we do that on the fly where we can just say, okay, we know that this is not worth this, and we may even give a general range of value, kind of like what you see on the Antique Road Show <laughs> where they say it's, you know, $250 to $5,000. <laughs> wow, that's a yeah, pretty a lot of variables in range. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want us to, to move into talking about the antique quilts because I just found that fascinating. But before I forget, how do people find appraisers in their area? There is... A couple websites. We have the Professional Appraisers of Quilted Textiles PAAQT website and I can get you that later. Okay. And there's also um, on the American Quilter Society websites, the AQS website, there's also a page in that website that has a list of the appraisers. So, and you know, we do advertise in some of the quilting magazines, such as Quilters Newsletters. There's occasionally um, an ad in there. And periodically it shows you might have a booth set up for sort of those on the Antiques Roadshow style on the fly. Right. In a lot of appraisers do appraise at local quilt shows. Um, we also usually have some sort of presence in the bigger quilt shows. Um, like in Paducah, we actually had a whole booth. Um, we're featured quite prominently there. And we also do hang, hanging appraisals at certain shows if we're asked to. And what that is, is that at quilt shows, your quilts are hung. And if you've asked for an appraisal, we will actually go into the show while the quilt is hanging and do our measurements right there and write up a document for you at, at a quilt show. So we're often at that. All right, so let's get into the fun stuff that I know you love so much as well. Let's talk about some antique quilts. And I'm going to rustle the recorder for a second and move it out of the way. The first thing, you have a couple of things you wanted to show us in terms of tools, and I'm going to take some pictures of them okay. so I can post them on the blog as well. <laughs> the quilting tools are pretty simple. Um, all we need, basically, this pencil, we have a document form and a tape measure. That's basically our tools. It doesn't take a lot. Um, sometimes we need a black light. 
um, to see if there is uh, a quilt that has been quilted at a later time period. A black light will actually show that um, if the thread is poly, a cotton polyester blend that has been quilted with, it will actually show blue. Hmm. So, but, but that's usually only if you really need certain documentation on dating. We also use an assortment of books. Quite often, what I, I like to tell people is the books that I use are sometimes so big and heavy that you could use them at Christmas time to as a booster seat because <laughs> I mean we I, I you know to bring all these books in I often have to bring this bag you know with with, with all these books. <laughs> um, some people, depending on the venue, let's say you're at a big show. I mean, there are quilts there that have been brought in from Japan or Australia. So we often wear gloves because some quilt shows have certain restrictions about, you know, you handling the quilts. A lot of quilt, or, quilt appraisers don't use gloves normally because although you're, there is oil on your hands, if you wash your hands before you handle the quilts, then that usually gets rid of that problem. Um, we often have to touch the quilts. So this is actually part of my tools too, is my hands, because you have to touch the quilt, you have to see the quilt, you have to, you know, be able to, to tell what the materials are. Is it cotton? Is it polyester? Is it silk? Um, so you you're, you you touch a quilt, you you have to touch to see what the batting is. So that's part of it too. So this is this is the tools that I use. You know, not a lot. Uh, a lot of the experience that we get for dating quilts is from books that have are, are centered around what the fabrics look like. Um, a lot of the experience isn't here. A lot of my, my main tool isn't isn't here. It's it's from the experience of working at a museum, of what we call flipping a lot of quilts. You know, like in a in a quilt show, you you just need to touch a lot of quilts and you need to see a lot of quilts. Um, quite often when I go to a quilt show, I look at all the contemporary quilts that are hanging up. I look at all the vendors and see what the tools are that are coming out. I look to see what styles are coming into play. Well, you know, like in Paducah, I saw a lot of medallion quilts are popular. That's what they were accepting in that show. So I look at that. I go to classes. I learn what what you know it takes to do a thread painting not not that I could do it <laughs> but it's not my style but but I have to be able to describe what skills it takes to make this quilt so that if something happened to it I'd be able to describe it enough for the insurance company to replace it so I you know a lot of skill that a lot of my skill comes from that I go to the antique dealers. I look at their quilts. I look at the prices. I look online and I see what the prices are. I look at the prices of antique dealers in New York versus antique dealers in another state because it depends on what state we're appraising it. Right. All right. Do you want to use sure. this quilt here as a All right. an example? Mm -hmm. Well, now this quilt here, what I, what I do is I would stretch it out on my table, and the first thing I do is I just look at the quilt. I say, okay, what, what is this quilt? 
and I would say, okay, I, I look at the date, I look at the fabric, and then I can say, okay, what are the, the, the dates of the fabric? And like this particular quilt is late 1800s. And I look at it because I can say, okay, there's a lot of these matter prints. There's this double pink fabric. There is these butterscotch colors. A lot of food products, you notice. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand why. But this quilt is telling me, okay, it's made in the late 1800s. And then I look at the, I feel the fabric, and I say, okay, it does feel like late 1800s fabric. It's not a reproduction fabric. A lot of times nowadays you can make a quilt that looks just like this in fabrics that are reproduced in 2010. So you have to look at it to say, okay, this is a quilt made in the late 1800s. I measure the quilt, I take a couple photographs, and then I, I look at it carefully both back and front. I look at the quilting stitches. I look at what the skill level it took to make the quilt. Is it a more complicated quilt? Well, this one here is a nine patch. It's a strip, what we call strippy nine patch. The nine patches are set on point, and it's quilted fairly heavy for the late 1800s, because you see, you know, that there was the way that the quilt styles were, that there were quilts that were more heavily quilted in the early to mid 1800s and then it kind of fell out of favor in the late 1800s and so you see this typical where the quilt is quilting is a little bit farther apart and I can also tell you that this quilt was made probably in the Pennsylvania area because of the way the colors are because the colors tell us what was popular at this time in this area, what you know, this area of the country. And so I could tell you it was made probably in Pennsylvania. And actually I did buy it from a person that told me that, but <laughs> and if I if my client knew anything about the quilt maker, I always try to get a little information if they happen to know that it was made by great great grandma. I will get her name. When was she born? When did she die? Um, you know, whatever information before it slips off into oblivion and is lost to the world, you try to document it. I mean, I, I don't do a family search on these, but sometimes it's important to know who the quilter is. Um, if the quilter was a well-known person, let's say Betsy Ross made this quilt, <laughs> then that might add a little value to it. Sometimes it doesn't, though. But, I mean, there's actually a lot of people out there who have made quilts in the 1800s that were made out of Martha Washington's dress. <laughs> we're kind of figuring that her dress must have been huge. <laughs> you know, most dresses from that period take about seven yards of fabric, but it must have been huge because there's an awful lot of quilts out there that have Martha Washington's dress fabric in it. But, but this particular quilt didn't have any history, so I just have to rely on the clues of what the fabric tells me, what the style tells me, what the quilting tells me. And from that, you know, I measure, I, I, I look at it, I look at the condition of the quilt. A lot of times, if the quilt is 
beautiful, absolutely awesome red and green intricate applique, but it's in tatters, and unfortunately it doesn't take much to figure out that it's an awesome quilt, but, you know, the value isn't there because the condition isn't there. And with quilts, it's kind of like they say with real estate, it's location, location, <laughs> location. With quilts, it's really important that the condition is there if, it, if there's a high value. So, but I was able to at least determine that this quilt was, you know, in, in the range of seven to $800 in value to replace it. Let me pull up one of my favorite stories that I keep thinking about that you told us, well, told us, Kate was with us when I had my quilts appraised, mm -hmm. is I am now bringing out a crazy quilt that I inherited. And one of these fabrics on here, you told us, disintegrates faster than any other fabrics because of the way it was made, because the women wanted a certain sound. <laughs> and I just love that story. Can we, I don't know if we can find that fabric on here or not, but... Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, with Silk Crazy Quilts, we're able to really date them pretty well because the popularity of Crazy Quilts started around the late 1800s, around 1865, during one of the, I think it was the Philadelphia Centennial. They brought in a lot of... of Japanese art, which they said was probably what influenced the start of the crazy quilts. And at that time period, silks were in fashion, women dressed in silk. But when they, you know, silk is, if, if you ever touch natural silk, it's a very soft product. Um, doesn't have a lot of body, but back in the late 1800s, it got to be where women, I don't know where it actually started, but they wanted their dresses to rustle. And because they were using silk as their fabric, silk needed a lot of body to rustle, or it had to be very tightly woven. So what they would do is, I don't know if they was being unscrupulous, but the manufacturers, well, they were just trying to be, you know, fashion forward, they would take the fabric and as they processed it, as they dyed it and processed it, they found that if they weighed the silk by soaking it in salts, like iron salts, that they would actually give it more firmness, give it more body without a lot of expense. And so the women would buy the silk, they would be happy with the product, they could make a dress that would rustle as they walked. It was it was sexy. You the know. swoosh is it sexy. The swoosh is sexy. Ooh, that's good. But, unfortunately, of course, they didn't know, they didn't think of it then, those salts are constantly abrading the fabric. They're rusting the fabric from the inside out. And so, you know, what we see now is the product of these quilts, these fabrics are rusting. Of course, back then they didn't care. They got their swoosh. <laughs> That's what they cared about. And the storekeepers were actually quite thrilled because silk was actually sold by the pound rather than by the yard, like cotton fabrics. So it weighed more. So they got more money. So everybody was pretty happy all the way around. 
but unfortunately what we see in a lot of crazy quilts that are made in the late 1800s are quilts that the fabrics had disintegrated leaving you could usually see the foundation underneath or the batting that was used and quite often crazy quilts thankfully are foundation pieced so even though the fabrics are disintegrating usually they hold together and so you can actually still see them and crazy quilts the fun thing about these a lot of people they look at them and they go ooh <laughs> because they're very chaotic chaotic yeah it's a good <laughs> word they're they're just you know this all these colors and fabrics and textures and threads but they fell out of favor quite quickly the the husbands the, the uh, of the quilters that were making them thought their wives quite insane because they really devoted a lot of time collecting all the fabrics and and collecting all the patterns that were used of the embroidery and the painting and the you know they they just they, they told said their wives were crazy but they fell out of favor because they were considered unhygienic mm-hmm. you couldn't clean them they're, they, they're not really washable um, they collect a lot of dust and usually they weren't made for beds anyway they were small they were usually just to put over the piano to show that you actually had leisure time <laughs> so that you know and that kind of fell out of favor so mm-hmm. you, then you you don't see quilts crazy quilts much after that you they kind of changed form a little bit you saw some made out of cotton a little bit more washable some out of wool but then they just kind of fell off mm-hmm. and that was by the time of the 1930s when you saw white colors and pastels and we we had all these new aniline dyes from Germany. It was part of what happened during World War One. We actually got all these secret recipes to create fabric dyes that were lighter and brighter and that became the new fab. Hmm. You know it's it's interesting part of the reason I love that story about that fabric is how much about culture and society at the time you can tell just by looking at one small piece of fabric and I think I mean you've got me hooked on this whole antique quilt thing (laughs) I had never really been interested in them until I ended up being the owner of several and just learning about things like that and Mm -hmm. with this crazy quilt the other thing we found out is I also had the pillow and we were able to tell that they were indeed made by the same person right based on the stitches themselves right a lot of times even though quilts are silent we we may not know anything about them um, as I said we we see clues we can we can kind of we, we don't fabricate stories but we try to fill in the blanks of what history is telling us through these textiles we can usually kind of say well this quilt was quickly made it was a utility quilt it was just made to to keep a person warm or was it something that they spent a little time and had a little extra lavish with their stitches and so we do try to you know at least help the client and filling in the gaps or in the case of this quilt where we joked about the fact that some of the blocks are quite complex and then they got less and less complex as they went as along. They so went along and, the person you know, either started out very um, intent and just sort of lost interest or they ran out of time. Well, there's actually one quilt that's on a cover of a book um, called Wild by Design. 
and it was by the professor who who runs the University of Nebraska textile quilt, quilts course. And that quilt took the maker 30 years hmm. to make. It was a crazy quilt, but it took her 30 years to make it. And she died shortly after she finished the quilt. You kind of wonder, well, did she finish the quilt because she knows she was... But 30 years, she, hmm. you know, that that was some quilt. Yeah, that's more time than <laughs> I want to put in that. Spend on a quilt. So let's, we have just about two minutes left. Can you give just a little bit of information about um, storage tips, how to care for antique or regular, you know, current quilts? Well, the biggest thing that we tell people with their antique quilts or new quilts is you want to treat a quilt like you do your favorite uh, relative. You don't want to stick them in the attic. You don't want to stick them in the basement where it's damp. You don't want them where it's hot and cold. They need air. They need to be rested. If it's possible, you don't want to put them in plastic because plastic is inorganic and it's it can do terrible things. It can help foster mold in a quilt. Um, there's no air. So we say, say stay away from plastic. You don't want to ever put a quilt in a garbage bag because there have been times where a person was taking a quilt to a show, put them in a darker, light-colored garbage bag, and it got inadvertently thrown out. So you don't want to put them in plastic. They like to be, if, if possible, you want to lay your quilts flat. If you have a spare bed, that's the best way to do it. If you don't, if you just kind of loosely fold them and then put them up on a, on a shelf, of course, you want if if it's a newly made quilt, you may you want to use it, and that's okay. Some quilts are made to be used, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you want to display them, a quilt rack is a perfect way. I often will say, you don't want them touching wood. If the quilt rack is wood or metal, you would should cover it up with a muslin fabric or even a piece of batting. It'll help round out that, those pointy sharp edges of your rack and then the quilt is not touching it. Um, wood or metal can leave spots on quilts, old or new. Um, I've had people bring me quilts that have all these really strange brown spots on it. And they'll say, well, can I wash their quilt? Sometimes these fabrics aren't real stable and so you may want to check it. If it's really filthy, dirty, you want to check each fabric with a Q-tip and a piece, you know, wet it down a little bit and rub the fabric. If you look at the Q-tip and there's color on the Q-tip, you don't want to wash it because you won't end up with just a dirty quilt. You'll end up with a dirty quilt that's that bled, mm -hmm. and you really don't want to do that. If it's a quilt that's just maybe dusty. You can, you can vacuum them. And what I usually tell people is you want to buy a piece of fiberglass screening that you can buy like at Home Depot or Lowe's. And you could take the fiberglass. It's a replacement screen for your screen door. And you unroll it and you lay it on the quilt and then you use your wand and you vacuum through it. The screening allows the dirt to be suctioned out and yet doesn't disturb the quilt. Mm. And that's 
usually the you want to start at the least evasive technique and work your way to the more because once you've damaged the quilt you can't turn around and, and go back put, go back so you want to try vacuuming at first and that's amazing how much dirt is in these quilts that can be taken out and it brightens the colors and makes it smell better and that is another thing if the quilt is just smelly um, oftentimes what I tell people is just lay it outside in the yard or on the driveway or over a bush you don't want to lay it over a clothesline but the air and the sun you may want to protect it a little bit from the sun because you want to not fade it but that will actually cleanse a quilt um, I've had quilts brought to me that smell of mothballs um, which can be very toxic for people so you may want to do that if you're wanting to live with the quilt in your your house I tell people that um, of course we talked about washing a quilt storing the quilt so in but if you're store if you're having the quilt in your living space you want to display it um, you want to protect it from sunlight because they will fade quite quickly right now the um, national regulations for light fastness for the fabric that we buy for the quilts that we have is only 30 hours so within 30 hours the quilt that you so worked on if it left out in the sunlight will fade and that's not very long so you want to protect it from sunlight but it's not that we want to hold them up and put them away and never enjoy them because we should enjoy them well thank you very very much I appreciate this I could talk about this stuff for hours so maybe someday we'll do another interview and do more on antique quilts and everything so thank you so much thank you Sandy Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley love you mom